Amen. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you guys for having me out again this morning. Um, I really do appreciate that. I'm excited to be here and, and uh, just uh, diving into God's Word and see what He has to say to us, if that's okay with you guys. All right, all right. Let's pray together and we'll just jump right in. God, we do thank you that you love us and we, we marvel over your love and over how great you are. And God, we, we do truly, we really do stand amazed in your presence. God, why in the world you would choose to love us? It just baffles my brain. But God, I thank you so much, and we do stand amazed in the presence, and we allow ourselves just to focus on you this morning. And God, I pray that as we do break open your word, and as we do take a look at what you have already said, God, we we pray that we will leave this place different because we've had an encounter with a God that loves us, and we've heard from his word, and we have allowed it to 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 just lavish itself all over us. And God, so I ask... Lord, please speak to us this morning in a way that we've never heard before so that we can truly say it is we met with God this morning. And I pray that that's a life-changing event. Thank you again for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving week. Did you ever find yourself this week doing something that was a waste of time? Anything at all? It's a waste. This is why, why are we doing this? This is just a waste of time. Um, and I find myself like that a lot. Uh, I did this past week. I do every single day, and it it, it just kind of makes me wonder how we spend our time. Ever ever thought of that? Um, I, I'm gonna today, and I know this is this is your. I'm visitor guy. Um, you don't. I don't have any authority over you. So what I'm about to say, you're gonna kind of scoff at. I get that, but I'm gonna send you home with some homework today. Okay. I know you don't want to, but. And I certainly don't have any way to, to make you do it, but I'm going to send you home with some homework. The first piece is I'll tell you now, and the last piece I'll tell you at the end, okay? The first piece is this. I want you, and I'm going to do this myself, I want you to take an audit of your life. Can you, like tomorrow, let's say, let's say whenever you just have a moment tomorrow, let's say it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and you're sitting down at 9 o'clock in the morning. I want to I encourage you. Actually, tomorrow's not a good idea because Sunday is so different. Wait till Tuesday. And do it Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock or whenever it is. And rewind your life over the past 24 hours. And just jot down a few things, a few highlights of what you did throughout the day. And I think you'll find that there are, there are things that you did in that day that matter. And there are things that you did in that day that don't matter. And... And just to, to have the idea that I'm, I'm going to start kind of wading through this and kind of taking a look at my life. And let me tell you right up front, there is no, the, the things that quote unquote don't matter are fine to do. You can watch TV. It's really okay. You can surf the internet. It's really fine. You can waste time. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I want to do this morning is just kind of take, help us take an inventory of what we do and how we do it and why we do it and see if we can figure out what really does matter and kind of spend some more time on that each day. I did a little Google searching uh, on this to find out how we spend our lives. You know, the average person in their lifespan will sleep for 26 years of their life. They'll be asleep. For seven years of their life, they will be trying to go to sleep. So for 33 years of your life is spent sleeping or or prepping to sleep. 
people spend 13 years at work. I found this is, this was kind of odd too when I did the, when I did some some research and some digging on this. 13 years of your life is spent working, um, but the average of that a day is a little over four hours. So I got to thinking, all right, if I'm supposed to be working eight hours a day or nine or whatever it is I'm supposed to be working, why is it that I only show up for four of those? Um, do I really do a great job at my, my work if I'm only working four hours out of the eight? But anyway, that's 13 years of your working uh, there's a year that you can spend in overtime. Uh, and this, this sur- the survey I found was done in 2017. So I'm sure a lot of this has changed because our, our, our culture is just changing so much. But according to this, we spend eight years and four months of our life watching TV. Eight years. I'm, not talking, I'm, I'm talking about 24 hours a day for eight years and four months we're watching TV. Um, and this is, the, this is the part that I don't really believe is, is quite true right now because the next stat says that we spend three years surfing social media. And I think that is up and that's going to, I think those two numbers are going to flop. But either way, that's 11 years of our lives that we're spent staring at a screen. 11 solid years staring at a screen. We spend um, four, years, four, four years and six months eating. Now that's, a, that's worth it. Uh, I find that's that's worth it. We spend three years and one month on holiday, and I think that might mean that we are either on vacation, like away from the away from your home on vacation, or you're just off of work because it's Fourth of July or whatever. But that's three years. You spend a year and four months exercising. It's funny how we can spend eight years watching TV, but we spend one year exercising. You do the math on that. And we spend a year and three days socializing, just chatting with people. A solid year, just, just chatting with people. So, how do you spend your day? That's my question. How do you spend your day? What, what is it that you fill your day with? And none of these things are, are wrong. I'm not saying any of these are wrong. They're not. In fact, these are very necessary things to do. You've got to sleep. You've got to eat. You've got you know, you to go to work. These things are, there's nothing wrong with any of these things. But it does make you think, does you, do you run your life or does your life run you? And so this morning, I kind of wanted to take a, take a fresh look at this, um, a, a heavy story, just to, to, on the flip side of just those light statistics, but a heavy story. On October the 1st of this year, um, one of my dearest friends passed away. Um, he was 50 years old. He died of cancer, just a, just a, a, a very big loss in my life. I mean, it was just, it was just a, a, it was a reality check for me. And it was, it was at that point that I really kind of started down this quest of what matters and what doesn't matter. Because if if you've ever had a loved one pass away, and I'm sure every one of us can, can relate to the story. When you have a loved one pass away, it just really kind of makes you take an inventory, doesn't it? And it's like, what, what is this matters? Why am I so irritated at this? It doesn't matter. All of a sudden, everything just kind of gets down to a reality of, uh, okay, hang on. Why I am not going to concern the rest of my life with this? I'm just not because it doesn't matter. And so for that, for my when my friend passed away, I kind of came to this realization of, of I'm, I just want to, I want to matter. I want my life to matter. I want God to look at me and say, look, you're, dude, you're doing some good quality stuff. And so I wanted to know what that was. Because none of those things that I just listed to you a while ago uh, are bad things. But, you know, does it really matter? 
does it really matter that I've spent eight years watching TV? I mean, is that really a life that God's going to say, hey, well done. Man, you saw Andy Griffith 6,000 times. Congratulations. I appreciate what you did. Um, it doesn't really matter. And so I began this quest. And so I opened up my Bible and I started reading and I started looking. And I said, God, what, do you, what matters? What, can I, what do I spend my life on? And then I came across... 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is where we're going to spend our, our morning this, today. If you will, just flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, Michelle, is this, is this, is this mine? Oh, awesome. Thank you very much. And even, even if it wasn't mine, I just asked because now it becomes mine. So what are you going to say? No, that's not yours. Leave it alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a, is, is a text that you have heard at weddings uh, multiple times. It is the love chapter, right? It's love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy, that's not puffed up, and all those great things. And that's very true, and it is, I, I think, is a great place to have 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at a wedding. I, I fully believe that. But if you will read up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Don't do it right now, but you can do it when you get home. If you can read up to 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 and following, you're going to read that it has nothing to do with marriage. It has nothing to do with romantic relationships whatsoever. It has everything to do with leadership. Paul is teaching the Corinthians how to lead. And all the way through first, uh, chapters 1 through 12, it's all about leadership. It's about cleaning your heart. It's about um, there is some things in there about marriage and back in chapter seven, but but it, it's all about uh, it's it's all about growth and becoming more like Jesus. And then all of a sudden he hits chapter thirteen and he talks wedding. I don't think that's right. I think he's just continuing to talk about how to lead. And I think each one of us has been called to lead. And so as you read down through First Corinthians chapter thirteen and read about love and what all it means and how we're supposed to love, think of it in the lens of not just your, your spouse or not just that person that's in your life that you're romantically related to, but think about how am I supposed to love the people that are in my circle, whether that's your family, whether that's your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, whatever it might be, that is what this is actually talking about. So as, as I'm reading down through 1 Corinthians 13, I find it in verse 13. I find the things that matter. Listen to this in verse 13. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you. I'm just going to read this one verse. This is out of the ESV, the uh, English Standard Version. It says this. It says, So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. These three things abide. The word abide um, is, the, um, is the Greek word um, it looks like minnow, but it's pronounced minnow. Um, but what it means is um, it means these, th- these three things remain. These three things stay. These three things reside. And these three things are worth waiting for. That's the definition. So faith, hope, and love are things that abide. These three things will stay. They'll last they are worthy of my attention. And so as I'm, as I'm at this place, in this guttural place last, uh, last month, 
dealing with the loss of my friend and really trying to kind of take an audit of my life and say, what, what matters and what doesn't matter? I want to spend my life because he was a guy that spent his life on things that mattered. And I, I just, I was always envious, if, if that's the right word, but I was always challenged, is probably a better word, to follow his example and to live like he did. And so I found this, and I started three um, uh, I started three practices in my life that I want to encourage you guys to take home with you as well. And those three practices were to focus on these three things because they matter. And to every single day, find a way to, to put in these three things into my life. The first one is faith. <clears throat> the first one is faith. If you, if you do a word study in the New Testament, the Greek word, if you, if you find the word faith throughout the New Testament, the Greek word, there's actually two different Greek words that, that mean faith, and they mean two different things. And one of them is, um, the, 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 I said the word preachery last week. This is another preachery word. Um, it's, it's called salvific faith. Uh, salvific faith is a faith that connects you to salvation. Okay, so if I'm saying, do you need to that I need to grow my my faith? What that means is I need to I need to acknowledge that there's a God greater than me that has allowed me into His family, and I I accept that, and that's called salvific faith. That is a faith that saves me. That's a faith that connects me to God and allows me a home in heaven. Right. So. If that's something that, that you, know, you can relate to, and I'm assuming that you guys can, but if you cannot, if you never had that point in time in your life where you have started that salvific faith relationship with Jesus and ask him into your life, that's what that is. Um, and so if you have not done that, I'd love to chat with you further to find a leader of this church and chat with them. But um, that is the salvific faith. And so that is one of the one of the pieces that we need to focus on. But another one is just it's the other word that in the New Testament, the Greek word that about faith is it's a faith that perseveres. Um, I am faithful in my marriage. I, I, I connect and I commit myself to my wife and I stay faithful. Right. I'm a faithful father. Father. Um, I want to be there for my kids. I want to uh, hang around with them. I want to give them advice. I want to be a part of their life. It makes me faithful. Um, uh, I'm a faithful follower of Christ. I am somebody that remains, that abides, that is that is consistent and steady and wants to be, uh, wants to know Jesus more. I say the word I. I'm not bragging on myself. I'm saying just, just in general as an, as an example. Uh, and so, but, but these are the things that that's what that word means. That's what that faithful word means. And so as we look at this this morning, and if we realize that, that that faith is something that remains, that faith is something that abides, it's something that matters, how do we grow our faith? Um, my life verse, the thing that I hang my hat on, and I can I try to make all my decisions based on this verse, and I think I may even mention it last week, is 2 Corinthians 5, nine. 2 Corinthians 5, nine says, whether I'm at home or away, I make it my goal to please God. Okay, so for me, I can say any of those two things as opposites, home and away. I can say uh, uh, tired or energetic. I can say frustrated or happy. I can say financially sound or not financially sound. But all of those things, I make it my goal to please God. No matter where I am in my life, I make it my goal to please God. And so I can start asking the question in every situation of my life, what pleases God in this? 
What pleases God in this? So that's that's a verse that is always that's always kind of hanging around with me, and I try to I try I don't do it all the time, I don't do it well all the time, but but I try to I try to make that a part of the question of every exam, every question, every decision, everything that goes on in my life. What would please God in this? Again, I don't always do it well. In fact, I I, I don't I probably do it bad more than I do it right. But that's that is the one thing that that I try to instill. So I'm reading along in Hebrews, and Hebrews 11.4 says this. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that perked me up a little bit. So I'm, I'm here trying to live my life a way that pleases God, but without faith, I can't please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. And so it puts me on a quest of, God, am I living a life of faith? Yes, I know that I can rewind in my brain. Back to when I was seven years old and I asked Jesus to come into my life. I created a, a relationship. I didn't create, but I accepted a relationship with God. And, and I started that salvific faith. So I have faith and I am able to say, yes, I'm living that life of faith. But the bigger question is, am I living each day in faith? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Am I living a life of faith? Every single day of my life, and that's where I, I just, I don't know. Um, I don't know, but I do know this. When I am, when I am following hard after God, and when I am realizing and feeling him push me to do things of faith, I feel his pleasure in my life. Uh, back in May, um, uh, I, I can mention this last week as well, but back in May, I left my uh, church position that I've, I've been in on and off of church staff. Well, I've been on church staff for the last 20 years. I've been bivocational and, and full-time, just different pieces, different things, different ways of, of doing things. And I, I, I felt God five years ago leading me to go do something different. And I didn't want to do it because it was, it was hard. Uh, it was going to be something I didn't, you know, I, I don't know that how I can make it like that. But in May, I finally did. And again, this is not a braggy thing on me, but it's an example of God's goodness in my life. I stepped out and started this ministry, um, this this biblical counseling ministry that that God has has, uh, set us sail in, my wife and I. And um, it was it was scary. We stepped out financially. It was it was very very scary financially. We stepped out and did some things and and uh, we started praying and. We, we don't have everything that we need. We do, you know, we, 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 hey, God, this is not going to end well. But I'm going to tell you something. That was in May. This has been almost six months now. And I, I, I can't tell you in my 54 years of existence, I can't tell you when I have seen God move more than he has in my life in the past six months. And it's not because I'm great, and it's not because I stepped out on faith, but it's because God is faithful as I stepped out on fa- in faith. Does that make sense? My friends, listen, if God is calling you to even do the tiniest little thing, like go next door and share something with somebody, make a, make a meal for somebody, uh, just love on somebody, give somebody a call, um, check in on somebody, give, financially give to a, a cause. I, I don't know what it might be in your life, but it, if, it's not, if it is a step of faith, it will please God as you do it, and you will feel his favor in your life. I'm telling you, most steps of faith are hard. In fact, all steps of faith are hard. That's what makes them steps of faith. But Hebrews 11.4 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. If we want to please God, we have to be living a life 
out on the edge and out on the, the far end of the limb, and that dude might just break off, and it might not go well, but that's what faith is. And as we're out there on that end of that limb, we feel and find God's favor. Well, is it always great and rosy and everything worked out perfectly? Absolutely not, man. I can tell you all the great things that God has done in my life over the last six months. And I can also tell you all the things that have fallen flat on their face over the last six months, too, because it just does. But the more I find, the more I step out in faith, the more I realize God's favor in my life. And I believe that you will as well. So that is one of the things that remain is faith. The second thing that remains is hope. It's hope. I believe that there are three different ways that we uh, that we can pursue and that, that we can look at hope. Um, a hope is a desire for something good in the future. All right, Christmas is coming up, so think of that thing that you might want. Um, a pair of shoes. Well, there's this great pair of shoes. I just I really I hope. So I hope I get this pair of shoes. Um, so that's, that is a hope of something that's out in the future. <clears throat> the second, the second way to look at hope is it's a hope that we, it's a hope for that desire. Okay. So what that means is not, not just do I, I hope I get those shoes. It's, I hope those shoes will help me get fit or I hope those shoes will, um, will keep my feet warm. Uh, so now it's not just that I want the shoes. Now I want the benefits of the shoes. And the third way to look at hope is <clears throat> it's the provision. It's the decision of the giver. I hope that someone will give me a pair of shoes. I hope that that someone will know me well enough to know what kind of shoes I need. Because I'm asking for this particular kind, but... That's my hope, but really, what I'm really hoping for is that somebody knows me better than I know myself, and they, you, you're asking for running shoes, but what you really need is, is some thick boots because it's going to get cold. You don't know that it's going to get cold. And see, that's what, that's what our, our, our spiritual faith is as well. When we were praying for my friend, his name is David, when we were praying for David uh, over the course of the past four years that he's had cancer, we, our, our first prayer was, God, we pray that you will... You will physically heal him. Of course, we were praying that. I, we hope that he will physically regain his strength. We hope that he will be out doing the things he's always done. We hope that. And then we shifted gears to a little bit more of, you know, our hope, our hope is that he will be able to minister in the way that he has been ministering. See, now we're shifting from we just want him to be healthy to we're shifting it to our hope for the things around us. And then finally, we started realizing our hope is that our hope is in a God that loves David and loves us enough to know what's best for him and for us. You see how that, that changes? Those things abide. Those things last. They matter. And they're important for us to hang our hat on. And here in a minute, I'm going to give you some practical ways to, to put hope into your life, uh, which is going to be a part of your homework. So get ready for it. Are you all excited about your homework? I know you are. I know you are. Um, so that's hope. Hope remains also. See, faith remains. Hope remains. These are things that abide. These are things that are things that we are worth putting, investing into. They have eternal significance in our lives. And finally, finally, um, the last thing that remains is the greatest thing that remains, according to this verse, and that's love. It's, it's, it's love. Love is a strong affection for another. 
Um, it's not necessarily a romantic affection. Um, I don't know you guys very well at all. I have now spent an hour and 37 minutes with y'all. Um, but I have a love for you because God wants me to have a love for you. Um, I'm connected with you because you are connected with God. We are family. And so I have a love for you. Now, to be honest, it's not as strong as the love I have for the people in my personal bubble. Uh, maybe one day it will be, but right now it's not. But it's not any different at all because that love, it's a seed with you guys because I don't know you well, but it's a seed that I believe I am commanded to love you. We love because God first loved us, right? We love because God first loved us. He loved us with what the Hebrew word is. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament is, is kesed, is a kesed love. Um, when, when you're reading, um, if you're in an NIV Bible, uh, I think the New American Standard also, if you're reading the Old Testament, you run across the word loving kindness. That is the Hebrew word kesed. Uh, it's, it's, it's very, it shows up a lot in the Psalms, but it's throughout the Old Testament, this word kesed is. And I love this word because this is the kind of love that God has for us. It is best defined as not romantic love. It's not, it's not gushy love. It's not emotional love. It's not sweaty palms love. It's none of that kind of love. It's described as it's a commitment love. It's a covenant love. When God says he loves the people of, of Israel and the Hebrew people, he loves and promises that he's going to love them. If you read back to the Old Testament, you're going to see a bunch of places, a bunch of places, where the Hebrew people, the Israelites, stepped off and did some dumb stuff. They, uh, Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, and he came down the mountain, and what was happening? They had created idols because they lost Moses. So they had created their own idol, and they were worshiping around this golden calf that they made, uh, and on and on and on. I can tell you a bunch of stories, and you guys know the stories as well, of all the places that they just kind of went off the rails and just did whatever they wanted to do. But God had a kessed love for them. He had a covenant love. He promises to love them. And that's exactly the way that God wants us to love each other. There's a, an old hymn <clears throat> that perhaps you've heard. It says, <clears throat> it's called The Love of God. And it says, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Listen to this. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? And this is great. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the, the, contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. The love of God, how rich and pure, how marvelous and strong it will forevermore endure. Saints and angels song. Listen, my friend, God loves you. And because he loves you, he commands us to love each other the same way he loves you. The same way he loves me, am I supposed to love you? And I hardly know you guys. But that's how I am supposed to love you. And that's how you're supposed to love those in your bubble or those people that aren't in your bubble, that are close to your bubble. It's a kessed love. It's a promise. It's a commitment. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how goofy they acted over Thanksgiving, you're supposed to love them. 
And you're supposed to be kind to them. You're supposed to um, go out of your way to empty yourself so that you can love them, which is how God loved us. He emptied himself and gave us Jesus. That's how he much he loves He loves us. Look back up in, um, in uh, you got your Bibles open, I hope. Look back up in First, uh, First Corinthians 13, that same chapter where we were just were. <clears throat> you ask how we're supposed to love. Here are some examples, and this is what you hear at weddings, but this is this this is these are the examples. First Peter 4, chapter 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Love is about the person that you're loving, not about you. It's about loving them to a better place. Verse 5 says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says, Love does not insist on its own way. That's how you love someone. You ever gotten to the place where it's just, you know, we got to do it this way. Remember last week I told you about the, um, about the dressing in my, my grandmother's house? And she put apples in it one year. Well, it's just awful. But I insisted on my own way. Um, uh, I, I, it irritated me that she made dressing wrong. But I had to have it my way. Um, and love does not do that. It, it does not do that. Um, James chapter 4 says, Where do fights and quarrels come from among you? Don't they come from your own desire to get your own way? Love does not insist on its own way. And when we do, fights and quarrels happen. Verse 4 says that love is patient. You a patient person? Is your love patient? Are there people in your lives that just know how to push your buttons? Love is patient. Love allows for things to go wrong. Love allows for that person is not where they need to be, but I'm going to hope and wait because in verse 6 it says love never love never gives up. You're growing and changing at, at, at the rate that God wants you to, or at the rate that you've decided to be more like Jesus. And I can't dictate that, and I can't help you along necessarily, but I'm not going to give up on you. Is there a person in your life that you just are ready to give up on because they're just not doing the things that they need to be doing? They're not loving, and they're not following God the way they need to be following God. Love does not give up. Verse 5, as another example, says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. Early on in our marriage, um. I've been married for 31 years. Uh, my wife has two, actually. <laughs> um, we've been married for 31 years. Um, and um, I love her deeply. She's the greatest person on this planet. Um, and we've had, we've had one argument in our lives. And that's not true. But we've had, we've had several. And, you know, you do. You live with somebody. You're just going to disagree. But early on in our marriage, we had this, this disagreement in our lives. And... Um, I had this, I guess I had this chapter in my brain, and I thought, okay, love is patient, and love is kind, and so you're wrong, and I'm right, but love is patient, and love is kind, and it, it, it doesn't lash out, so I'm just going to keep this one to myself, and so we were having this argument, or this discussion, or I don't even remember what it was, to be honest with you, but something was going on, and the next step for me was to get in my car and go somewhere by myself. I don't know if I was going to work. I don't remember. If I, was, I don't remember what I was doing. But I remember very, very vividly being in the car by myself and rewinding in my brain back to what just happened. And I remember thinking, Kirk, you are one awesome guy for not saying something. You are. I mean, people need to be like you because that's how great you are. And so I was really 
patting myself on the back for not lashing out and for not being mad and for not saying something dumb. And then I remember thinking, very vividly, I remember thinking, okay, yeah, but I'm going to store this away. I'm going to remember what she did, and I'm going to store it away. And when I need it, I'm bringing it back up. But for now, I'm being godly. But, but, but when this happens again, and I can use it, you know, I can say it's just an example. I can say it's, you know, whatever it might be. But then I read this verse, and it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. And was extremely convicted. Do you have things in your brain that you're still holding on to of somebody that did something to you 30 years ago that you just can't let go? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love endures, it abides, it lasts, it matters. And if you'll see how love, it says that love is the greatest of these three, you'll see how love then infiltrates itself into hope. See, if I'm truly hoping in God, that means my love for God has grown over time and I truly trust him and I have faith. We're backing up into faith now. I have faith in that God enough that I am stepping out on faith and stepping out and doing things that he wants me to do because I have grown this love for him and I have grown this love for the people that are around me. Again, not me, but us in general. So here's your homework. Ready? Here's your homework. First piece of homework I've already given you, and that is to look back over your life for 24 hours and do a little audit. Think about it. See if you can figure out what it is that you do with your time. And again, I'm not slapping you around for watching TV. I'm not slapping you around for getting on Facebook. I'm not doing any of that stuff. Um, that stuff is fine. Um, what I would like for you to consider is two things. One, are the things that are time wasters, and there's nothing wrong with time wasters necessarily, but the things, and then, and then two, the things that are time wasters and are sin, like worry, like like anxiety. Anxiety is not a sin, but if you allow yourself to wallow in it, it can become one. Um, what is it that you're doing that is really not just a waste of time, but is sinful? That, yes, of course, we need to get rid of those things, but just I want you to take a look at your life and really ponder what it is that you do with your life. And then here are the three things that I want you to do. Every day for the month of December, take my challenge. I promise you that it'll change your life, not because Kirk said it, but because it's in God's word, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But every day in the, in the month of December, look back over your day at some point in the evening. Look back over your day, or maybe it's the next morning, and you can do an, a 24-hour assessment or whatever. And work very diligently to every single day grow, A, your faith. Grow your faith by reading God's word, by investing time into it, by praying by maybe listening to a podcast of a sermon or listening to some, some Christian music or driving in your car and busting out in song and just singing to God. And what a great way to worship him. I do this, I, I do this sometimes and people think I'm nuts when I'm driving down the freeway and I'm just singing uh, for no apparent reason. Uh, but it is a great moment for me to connect with God. What is it that you do that, that connects your faith to God? Every single day, grow your faith. And then, as you're growing your faith, ask God this. What is it today that I can do that demonstrates my faith? Is there a small little thing that I can do? I can go buy milk for the person next door. I can call up somebody and just ask them how they're doing. Um, I can give to a cause. I can come down here to church and do something. I, I don't know. But whatever it might be that God may be leading you to do that's just a little bit outside your comfort zone. 
Or maybe it's something huge. Maybe there's this great big thing that you know right now, Kirk, you're stepping on my toes because i got to go do this. I know that I do. And whatever that might be, but every single day invest into your faith and ask God what it is that you can do to step out in faith. So that's, that's step one. Step two is to, in, is to invest time in hope. Um, invest time in hope. And a lot of this is just, some, most of this is just focus. Remember last week I said you can only look at one thing at one time. Uh, we're, not, um, we're not geckos. Geckos can, can look in two different directions at once. But, but we humans, we can only look at one thing. And looking and staring at hope is something that takes focus and it takes it takes you deciding, I'm going to look past the, the hard things of life and I'm going to focus on a God that loves me. And so just changing your mind in a moment where life is hard and saying, yes, but God loves me. And here are some things that he did for me. Remember last week's sermon, we talked about, we started with rejoicing. We found the things that God did in our lives. And those are focuses on hope. Um, even if it's just the smallest little thing, like it's something very practical, like, you know what, my life is hard right now, but Christmas is coming. And I'm going to get to see my friends and my family, or I, I might even get a gift. You know, stuff, stuff like that is hope, and it's something that God is going to do for me. Um, to, so focus on your hope, and then finally, of course, invest time in love. Invest time in love. Do something for someone that expresses love. And then every single day, if you can pull out a sheet of paper or open up a note on your on your phone or whatever it might be and just jot those three things down and say, how did I invest time today in my faith? How did I invest time today in hope? What did I do to focus on how great God is and what he can do for me and how he has loved me and given me that hope? And then thirdly, what have I done today to invest into someone else's life? You see, faith, hope, and love are the only things that remain, according to this verse. They're the only things that remain. Watching TV doesn't remain. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it doesn't remain. Chatting with your friends about hunting or, or fishing or, or crocheting or whatever it is that your hobbies are, those are fine. There's nothing wrong with those, but they don't remain. They don't remain. In a million years when you're in heaven, those things will not remain. But you investing your time in faith, hope, and love each day will remain. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second and we'll close with this. Just in the stillness and the quiet of this moment, would you just ask God right now what it is that you can do in your life to increase your faith? Maybe you maybe you don't have a, a time alone with God every day and if you don't, man, I highly encourage you, the most practical thing I can tell you to do is just crack open your Bible to the book of James and read a little portion of James every day. And write down something that stands out to you. And then pray over that thing. But increase your faith. Would you also asking, as you're praying right now, ask God to, to give you hope um, and to allow you to, uh, to, to feel his hope in your life and to help you, you focus on the things that are hopeful, the things that you know are coming, and the things that God is going to do for you. And then finally, as you're praying, ask God that, to give you someone in your life today that you can show love to. Maybe that's a family member. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, a, a Facebook friend. I don't know, just somebody that you can just demonstrate love to. And then I hope, you, I hope and pray that you'll accept my challenge to do this for 30 days, for one month, 
just to look back over your life and think, am I investing time in the things that matter? For me, um, having lost the, uh, my friend, it has really helped me take another hard focus on my life and realize that there are a lot of things that I was doing that just don't matter. There were worries and there were struggles and resentments in my life that don't matter. And I was wasting a lot of my life on things that don't matter. And now I'm trying, I'm not doing a great job, but I'm trying to refocus myself and invest in these three things because I know these three remain. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love and thank you that you allow us to understand who you are. And God, I pray that as we very practically take a look at these three things in our lives, God, I pray that we will grow and change and become more like you and that people from miles around will want to know what is happening in this community because these people, these folks are investing their time in things that matter. And so, Lord, I pray that that is the recurring theme of all these folks, of all of us, and that we are growing and changing and becoming more like you because we have had the opportunity to know you and to, in, and to invest into that word. God, thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.